0: That's funny. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Michael, and I will be your guide for the sermon. Um, I'm the pastor down the hall at New Heights, and it is uh, just a thrill to be back in here for the third time uh, this summer, uh, especially during this series that we are doing, this listening to God series. And I've really enjoyed it. And I don't know what I said to David at some point that he has um, saddled me with uh, the first sermon was a woman who pretended to be a prostitute so that she could sleep with her father-in-law. If you remember that lovely, you know, Brady Bunch story. Um, the second one was um, a madam who ran uh, a house for prostitutes uh, so that she could ensure, um, you know, Jesus's life. Um, so that one was good, too. And and today um, we get to another woman of uh, nefarious character, if you Will. So I don't know why David thinks that these women and I just coincide together. Um, but apparently he does. So that's good. In John chapter 4, uh, it says this. Jesus, this is page 94 in the Bibles in front of you, if you want to look at it. 94 of the New Testament, by the way. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at, this, at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you were you a Jew and I a Samaritan woman. Uh, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and cattle enjoyed? Jesus replied, people soon become thirsty after drinking this water, but, but the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The story continues. And the next thing that Jesus asks her to do is, do you remember? Go get your husband. And the woman, just completely shocked by this question because she knows. says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, no kidding. You've had five husbands and the guy you're living with right now isn't even your husband. And this blows her mind that he knows this. And she says, who are you? You've got to be some prophet. And she asks him a question about where the right place to worship the Lord is. And Jesus says the time is coming. In fact, it is here when God is calling us to worship in spirit and in truth. And it leads her to the Messiah. And he says, yeah, I am the Messiah. Now, think about this story for a second. And every time that I've really thought about this story, I've always seen it from the side of the Samaritan woman. Because I I normally associate myself with people of that character. Maybe David does also. I'm starting to see a theme here. Rather than Jesus. I've always seen myself as the outsider. I've always seen myself as the person who's lived life a little bit more harshly than others. And as I come to this well, I, I, I come to the well as the Samaritan woman. Wanting Jesus to offer me that water. But recently, I was asked to speak at the VBS uh, this summer, uh, Vacation Bible School, and it's just a great time. And uh, if you've ever been here for Vacation Bible School, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, come next summer, because it is something to see hundreds and hundreds of kids in this room just screaming at the top of their lungs to worship Jesus. But I was asked to speak on this scripture, John 4, and I started thinking about it. You know, what am I going to tell These little kids about a woman with five husbands and living with another guy. What am I going to say to them? And and what God really started talking to me about was, okay, what's Jesus doing here? What's going on from his side? In the summer of listening, what we've been talking about are, are people who have listened to God and, and what did it look like and how did they listen and how can we take that and apply it in our own lives? Or, or maybe we've seen a story and we've said, OK, what is God telling us? How can we listen to the scriptures and make that a part of who we are? And, and, and for this one, for this one, really, what I really was looking at is. What is Jesus saying to her? Not just the words, but underneath those words what is he saying so it took me back to my seventh grade year at horner junior high school uh, the fighting hornets of fremont california um and i remember we, we had this cafetorium you know, remember the cafetoriums They're, those are great like half a it's like a cafeteria at lunchtime but then it's a gym in the morning and, and um, it's everything! And so, this, this little cafetorium thing would, in the mornings, there'd be tables set up for, for breakfast for the kids who uh, weren't eating at home. And then on the other side, all the basketball goals were down. And for kids who had eaten or, or finished breakfast there, it, you know, just free for all shoot around. Um, and I was really into basketball back then, and I would go in in the mornings and, and shoot baskets with some of the kids from my team and, um, and just horse around and wait for the first bell to ring. And, I remember this one time that I was in there that, that has, has stayed with me um, in ways that I didn't expect uh, to to see something at that age and, and, and ways that has shaped me to this day. I, I was in there and there was these two kids. Um, one was an eighth grader and he was a big kid. Uh, granted, this is a long time ago, um, but I remember him being a really large kid, very tall, um, really uh, just a big kid, and, but he had special needs um, and he always would be in there playing ball, um, but not really aware or really sure what was going on. He was just kind of there in his own world playing basketball. And then there was this other little kid who was a seventh grader and he was real short. He was a small kid. He was one of those kids um, who's small, but doesn't think he is and doesn't want anyone else to know that he is. And so he was always that kid that was pushing people around and, and doing those things. And, um, and I remember this one morning, this little boy, uh, for some reason, got really angry at the eighth grader and started hollering at him and started calling him names and started pushing him. And the eighth grader had no clue. No clue what was going on. He sh- it wasn't in his world. He didn't know. And it ends up with this little boy punching the 8th grader in the face. And the 8th grader, just shocked, starts crying and runs away. Even as a 7th grader, it broke my heart to see that. Even back then, and and I'm so far away from that kid Who I was then, I'm so far away from that now, but I still remember that it just broke my heart. I remember it to this day, and it makes me tear up. See, here's why I think it does. Because I didn't do anything. Because I stood there and I watched it happen. I was much bigger than that other seventh grader. I knew who he was. He knew who I was. I knew the eighth grader. I knew that something wrong was happening. But I stood there and I watched it. So I'm reading this book right now by Dan Allender. And it's called To Be Told. And his his premise is that our life is a story. And God is the author of our story. But he longs for us to be the co-author. He longs for us to take part in our life and to join him in the writing of what our story is going to be. One of the key elements, Dan suggests, is tragedy. That tragedy is one of the things that is needed for a story to become great. It's one of the things that is needed to move a story forward. He he brings up Joseph and he says, for instance, Joseph. Joseph needed the tragedy of his brothers throwing him in a pit. Selling him off to slavery to move his story forward. It was that tragedy that set up the rest of the story of Joseph. It was that tragedy that set up the rest of the story of our faith. And yeah, I get that. And, and, and I see the I see the really the brilliance of that and faith walking taught me a lot about that, too. Um, but also, I think that he's wrong because he's missing another element. Because I think it's not just tragedy that is needed. It's grace. Because if you think about the story of Joseph, yes, that sets him into motion. He's sold into slavery, into Egypt. He goes to Pontifer's house. He's thrown in jail. He has these dreams and interprets these dreams. He goes up. He's a second hand of Pharaoh. His brothers eventually come back and they're bowing before him. And it is his grace at that moment that moves the story forward. It's not the tragedy of the drought. It's the grace of Joseph. I forgive you, my brothers. Come and live with me. I think in the story of the Samaritan woman, what Jesus is doing is offering grace. Tragedies already happened in this woman's life, clearly. Right? She's coming to the well at noon. She's coming to the well at the worst time to come to the well. Now, in Texas, you know, the hottest time of day is four or five o'clock. In Israel, it's noon. She's come at the worst time of day to get water. Why? So she doesn't have to see anyone else. So she doesn't have to be there when all the other women were coming to the well and hear the snickering behind her back. Or worse, hearing people talk straight to her, calling her who she was. And so she came at this horror, horrendously hot time of day to do this laborious work by herself. But there she finds grace. There she finds the Messiah. On December 20th, 2005, tragedy entered my life. Its the day my daughter was born. Her name's Grace. Many of you may know her. You might have seen her running through the halls here. And you wonder, why do you say tragedy? She wasn't what we were expecting. Our first child, we were expecting for it to be a joyous day. A day of celebration. A day that we would never forget. It is that day. But it was the day that I saw her in a little plastic box on top of a stretcher being taken away, driven across town to another hospital that could handle the type of medical condition that she had. It was a day that started eight years of hospital visits and doctor visits and therapy after therapy after therapy. And meeting after meeting and fight after fight. So it was a day of tragedy. But what it also was, was an opportunity for grace. It was an opportunity to feel the love of Christ. Jenna and I just had an opportunity to um, leave our children for a week. Praise God um, I love my children But we had an opportunity to go away and, and, and eventually the conversation came To grace And the question was We've asked ourselves this over the past eight years Would you want her differently Now I want her healed for sure I want her to be able to talk An eight year old should be able To tell her father she loves him. I want that to happen. An eight-year-old should go to the bathroom on the stinking potty. But I wouldn't want her different. Because she's shown, shown me more of the grace of God than I've ever seen before. Not just through her life, but through the lives of so many people in our community who have loved us in ways unimaginable. We went to the well at the hottest time of the day, and our story continued because God offered grace. See, as I look back in that gymnasium, that cafetorium so many years ago, and I see that occurrence, and I wonder why I didn't step in. Well, because I wasn't as strong then as I am now. But now I see myself as one who steps in and takes care of others who can't take care of themselves. My son Corbin, who bears the brunt of a lot of his sister's hostility, He is uh, an amazing little guy. drives me nuts, <laughs> but I love him. One thing I tell him is, "Hey, buddy, crockers are people who look out for those who can't look out for themselves." But I don't think it's just about crockers. I think it's sons and daughters. I think sons and daughters of the most high God are people who look out for those who can't look out for themselves We are people who go to the well at the hottest part of the day and we say Here Let me give you something So that you may never thirst again Tragedy is going to happen in people's lives and it's going to propel them forward in the story that God and they are writing Yes, but so too does the grace that we have available, so too does the love that God has put inside of us to give to them. That is the thing. We need to be the type of people who go to the well and we wait for that person to come along who needs us to give them grace so that their story may move forward.